You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we'll have more reaction to the six-game suspension of Ezekiel Elliott plus Marshawn Lynch and Michael Bennett's decision to sit for the playing of the national anthem, and we'll chat with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. And Brian, let's break down the top stories with Russell Baxter of NFLSpinZone.com. Russ, we appreciate the time. Let's start with Ezekiel Elliott. What was your reaction to the news on Friday? He'd been suspended for a half dozen games. There had been media speculation it might be a single game or two games. Yeah, and I guess the media speculation didn't read the uh, you know the the six game suspension for domestic violence that was put into the policy a couple of years ago off the off the mistakes that were done by Ray Rice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's still going to be an appeal filed. And uh, we'll see what goes. I mean, we've all talked about this before. Um, it's always hard to get a gauge on what the NFL is going to do. They felt it was, I guess, kind of cut and dry. And I, I believe this is accumulative of the various things. Again, it's conduct. It's not guilt or innocent. Okay? We saw the, what happened with Ben Roethlisberger seven years ago now, but it still happened. Um, I think what gets people upset is the erraticness of the decisions. And even though this was something that was put in there, say, automatic six-game suspension, there are you know, still people evoking what happened with Josh Brown, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, and it still has, guys, this Ouija board-type impact, um, whether it's, it's put in the, in the policy or not. So I, I think the NFL would do themselves some good if they were a little more cut and dry. I've been saying for three years there needs to be two different sets of discipline, um, disciplinary factions with the league. One that deals with you know the, the, the uniform stuff and PEDs and everything that deals with real legal issues, and they need some lawyers as well. I'm not telling the league how to spend its money, but they seem to have a, a few bucks laying around. And Russ, that, that may be the reason why, as you mentioned, there is such an inconsistent feeling towards some of these punishments because, you know, not saying that guys should test the, test the market and try to figure out what punishment category they can actually get into, uh, but when it comes down to how do you lay it down for as punishment is concerned, you know, the backlash, whether it's from the fans, whether it's from the organization, uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of off balance a little bit because of the level of inconsistency. How can you be consistent about how you deal with because everything has to be case by case, shouldn't it? It should be case by case, um, and it, it and it doesn't as you know it doesn't have that feel to it and so on. And again, I think we're dealing with people who are. I, I, this is the only the best way I can put it. Um, I believe Roger Goodell when he embarked upon this about eight or nine years ago, really had good intentions when it came to cleaning up the league. But I think that cleaning up meant drugs, alcohol. It didn't deal with, and think about this over the last couple of years. 
bullying in a locker room, dog fighting, spousal abuse, child abuse. Shall I go on? I mean, this is not stuff that a sports league is acclimated to dealing with. And I think they need to get in qualified people to make rulings on this stuff. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. It's like, you know, I I don't want my dentist fixing my car just because he's good with tools. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying is I don't think the NFL has the right. And they've added people. I just don't think they're, they're qualified as a sports league to make decisions and rulings on stuff that are this serious. Well said. Russell Baxter, NFLSpinZone.com is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Russ, fans in Chicago are buying Mitchell Trubisky a yellow jacket. He's going to the Hall of Fame based on a handful of series, and he looked good in fairness against Denver on Thursday night. In general, you've been covering football for a long time. What are your takeaways based on the preseason? How excited do you get when somebody plays well in that context? I, I don't even know if I – It's for me, the preseason is about comfort, okay? And what impressed me the most about Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, um, and who am, I, who am I leaving out? You guys were just talking Patrick about Mahomes him. also looked good in Kansas City Patrick against the 49ers. Yeah, uh, in other words, the rookie quarterbacks, with the exception of Josh Dobbs, who was a shaky mess in the beginning of the game, and then he kind of settled himself, settled himself in, and so on. But again, these rookie, the rookie quarterbacks, and rookies in general, does it look like the first time they've been in a football game? Does it look? Do they look confused? Again, how much, you, you know, you're going by television and the beat writers and the people covered teams have a, a better sense uh, of, of what's going on here and so on. But Mitchell Trubisky looked the part. And I think that probably surprised more people um, than, you know, than say Deshaun Watson coming in here and excelling and so on. Um, and Deshaun Watson w- w- was far from perfect. but he didn't look like he was the moment was too big for him okay and i think that's probably the best best way to say it for a quarterback it is a little different and cordell you know that as well it is a little different than a running back um a pass rushing defensive end you know the complexities of the position the different things that can happen and so on but again you look at trubisky you look at watson um, and, and you could only be impressed because much like Tom Brady when he finally got in the lineup, Ben Roethlisberger when he got in the lineup, Russell Wilson as a rookie, they just they didn't look like they were taking this major jump from college football to pro football. It just looked like they were making a transition from a football team to a football team. I know we talked about Ezekiel Elliott and his suspension, but I don't think we really addressed how the team looked without him uh, playing against the Rams. And and as you mentioned, you know, it's like the comfort. I, I, I get all that. But it's also, uh, let's just say, decision-making. Like how, how I gauged Dak Prescott last year when I came out on a limb and said, Tony Romo will never see the football field again. And it wasn't because he looked like, the hall, like a Hall of Famer. It was because he was comfortable. It was because of the decision-making uh, that we had an opportunity to see him make. And most importantly, he did it with authority. How do you see this offense looking without 
uh, Ezekiel Elliott in the sense of everything I just mentioned, force the authority, whether it's Alfred Morris, Ronnie Hillman, or even uh, Darren McFadden? Well, the thing that that struck me was the end of last season, Cordell. Um, this was a, in the beginning of the year. It was really Zeke Elliott carrying the offense. Okay, that's not a knock on Dak Prescott. Right. I just thought it was great coaching by the Cowboys, and they had the luxury of Zeke Elliott, which enabled Dak Prescott to get slowly comfortable, right. more and more comfortable, and then you see it in the playoff game, in which I know the Cowboys lost 34-31, but Dak played a pretty good game. He got better as a passer as the season wore on. I would expect his passing numbers to increase this year, even if Zeke Elliott was in the lineup. It's just a natural progression. Um, And if you're able to groom your quarterback that way, more power to you, instead of throwing him in the fire and then asking him to carry the team, I think that's one of the big mistakes with all due respect, that the Colts have made with Andrew Luck. You know, when Peyton Manning was there in his latter years, it was like, well, the hell with the running game, and you know, the hell with the defense. Because Peyton, just keep on scoring, scoring, scoring. We'll get some turnovers, blah, 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 et cetera. Andrew Luck kind of got thrown into that right away. And I think that's why it eventually cost Ryan Grigson his job. Ryan Grig- uh, Chris Ballard went out and tried to fix the defense. This idea of one-man football is great if you're sitting on your couch playing Madden. It doesn't work in the National Football League. Okay, the idea that can I, here's one for you. I did, did some digging. We, you know, people talk about throwing the football and passing yards. Why is it that in 51 years that there has never been a quarterback lead the league in passing yards and won the Super Bowl for the same season? Things that make you go, hmm. Cordell's going to ponder that. One more for me. You mentioned the Colts. How concerned are you? Now we're into the second week of August. Still no luck. Still on the physically unable to perform list coming back from the shoulder injury. Jim Irsay saying yesterday, the owner of the Colts, he doesn't know if luck's going to be ready for the season opener. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, that could also be the fact that it's Wade Phillips' defense and Aaron Donald would probably be in a bad mood by then. Um, if 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 he shows up, all kidding aside, you know, now the Colts finally get a defense and their quarterback's a little beat up and has been beat up the last couple of years. Um, you know, remember, first three seasons in the league, 11-5, 11-5, 11-5. You didn't miss a game. They went from losing a wild-card game to losing a divisional playoff game to losing the AFC championship game. It doesn't take long. And then you combine the fact that, you know, I think luck has gotten into this mindset of having to carry the football team, hence the turnovers. Hence, he also brings them back because sometimes he's just, it's, it's just not the right way to construct a football team. And, uh, you know, I, that's not all on Ryan Grigson. I think that also has to do with Jim Irsay and the organization in general. They were so busy trying to replace Peyton Manning um, that they forgot about everything else. Now, Chris Ballard's going out and gotten pass rushers and drafted a lot of defensive linemen, but the bottom line is their quarterback isn't healthy. And adding this fact to Brian and Cordell, the rest of the AFC South hasn't stood around and waited for the Colts to play catch-up, okay? Houston looks like a better football team. They swept them last year for the first time in team history, meaning the Colts. Tennessee can't beat the Colts. I think they've lost 11 in a row to them. But they finished above them in the standings last year. 
Remember the Colts for at one time I believe the Colts won 16 straight divisional games. I think since then they're below 500 within the division. Great information as always, Russ. We appreciate you giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on Tudin. My pleasure, sir, and I managed to finally do an episode pun-free. Well, and, and I appreciate that, <laughs> given the severity of the topics that we were dissecting. Thank you, Russell. You got it, sir. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Immerse yourself in the world of Heard Well Radio, yeah. the only 24-7 streaming radio station that's powered by social influencers and their communities. Come for the best new music curated by the most influential voices of today and stay for Heard Well Live, our live specialty program that airs at 3 p.m. Pacific every weekday, hosted by Josh Fisher. Plus, listen in for special contests, live events, and playlists curated for every moment of your day. From us to you, this is Heard Well Radio. Listen for free on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart we continue on nfl no huddle the podcast now let's go round the league with josh alper from profootballtalk.com josh we appreciate the time none of us are lawyers but we respect your opinion do you think ezekiel elliott could wind up taking the nfl to court to try to stay on the field it's very similar uh, on the surface to to the tom brady fight which had to do with you know the, the commissioner's uh power under the, the personal conduct policy and the the way that the arbitration is run and and the what the absence of of compelling evidence that that would you know we we would see fit in a in a criminal trial that obviously has not happened here and and the the just the the sort of vagaries of of a policy that you know you say it's a, a six game policy for domestic violence but we saw Josh Brown with the Giants last year got one game and the mitigating factors don't seem to be uh, working in the NFL's favor here in terms of why this suspension was longer. And uh, I think when you're, you know, you're talking about six games of a, of a career, you know, of a season, that's almost half a season. That's it's a big chunk of time. It's a big, a big chunk of, of money and, and everything else. And, and so I, I think that they will explore every option of fighting this before you know, accepting the the suspension, I don't know that it'll go as far as the Tom Brady one went. I, I think they're you know perhaps on an appeal, things get knocked down, and and everyone agrees to to move on. But I I think that there's a real chance we're going to see another one, another court case, and and suspensions being you know held up, and and all the same kind of stuff that we saw with the Deflake. Yeah, that conversation is is result based, uh, especially when it comes down to going to court uh, to try to get a result that's. A little bit less than six suspensions. I think that's why I would go to court to try to figure out if you don't have to be gone for six games. But I want to do the balancing act thing. How do you find a level of consistency throughout the National Football League when it comes to the personal conduct policy, even though it's set for six games when it comes down to, uh, you know, those types of actions, you know, putting your hands on another female or what have you. But how do you do the balancing act of being consistent when it comes down to laying down the rules of, of how do you deal with these personal conduct issues? I don't care if it's marijuana. I don't care if it's DUIs. Uh, when it comes to domestic violence, is there a one way of doing this? Because I think the uproar is, how does he get six game and this guy get it cut down to four? He get it cut down to three. Like, how do you gauge that? Yeah, I, I think that is, is the essential question, Cordell, is, is when you don't, 
when you use your own investigative practices, and, and those aren't obviously entirely transparent, and you use your, at some point, it seems like the, the you know, just a judgment that's being made. There's been no conviction. There's not even been an arrest in this case. And so it, with that being the case, that if you're not using that as the baseline, that a, a player needs to be at least, you know, arrested and charged with a crime before there can be a disciplinary action. And you're not going to use this, you know, they, they have all of these different options available to them that we had the exempt list with Greg Hardy and Adrian Peterson. And then, you know, now we see six games for Elliott, one game for Josh Brown last year. Uh, another guy may be accused of something and get no punishment at all because the case gets dropped much in the same way that the Elliott case got dropped. And that, there, you know, are there other factors? Are there other issues? I think that the the whole thing lends itself to confusion rather than clarity. And if you're trying to balance it out in terms of fairness, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a totally fair way because every case is different. And if you try and put them in, under the same umbrella, you're you're inevitably going to run into these issues of saying, you know, how come this guy gets treated differently than that guy? And I don't think the NFL has shown much interest in, in really explaining those things themselves. There's the occasional leaks to reporters, but there's not really any, any sort of consistency from Roger Goodell or, or anybody in the league office when it comes to how these cases get dealt with. And, and I think it just opens the door to continual legal challenges about it every time. Going around the league with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Josh, based on Marshawn Lynch and Michael Bennett sitting for the anthem over the weekend, if the NFL believes that there's a big portion of their national fan base that finds this kind of social protest to be objectionable, because we heard some theories that ratings might have gone down last year based on Colin Kaepernick, could you see the league emulating what the NBA did years ago in the wake of Mahmoud Abdul Raouf's decision to protest the anthem and come up with a league-wide policy that you have to stand for the national anthem? I, I don't. I don't see that being the outcome of this, and I. Okay, I think that it's it, it, it is particularly at this point in time. You're you're then asking for off-field issues and political issues and, and political statements to, you know, to overshadow the league in a way that the league would, I'm sure, prefer not to be the case. I think that the league would prefer not to have to deal with this at all. And that if there's a team that might want to take the step on its own, that that's, I think, more likely than a blanket uh, edict from the league that everybody has to stand. I, I think that that would be, that would be problematic for the league at this point. Some of it going into the same issues we were talking about with Elliot, that uh, I think there would be fights about it and that you're going to, you, you were going to have to negotiate that into a CBA at some point. There, there's, there are player rights involved here that would have to be a part of any discussion. And I just don't see that being worth the fight for the league to, to give up other things to the union to, to get this. I, I don't see that drop being statistically significant in terms of attributing it to Colin Kaepernick last year. We'll see if the ratings continue to drop this year, perhaps that'll change. But I, I think with no political, excuse me, no presidential election, we'll see if, if those kinds of ratings drops that did reverse themselves to some extent after the election was over last year. If those things remain the same, I don't see this being an issue the league office is going to want to press. 
When you look at the NBA, um, I think because these guys' contracts are guaranteed is why they can be a little bit more outspoken, okay? And LeBron James even mentioning something about the president and mentioning something to the extent of saying this is make America great again, huh? You know, with everything that's taking place in Virginia. But yet he's outspoken because I think he's afforded the opportunity to because he don't have to deal with the ramifications of, of saying something, let's just say, quote-unquote, air quotes, out of bounds, but in the National Football League, not all these guys' contracts are guaranteed. I mean, so many people on the outside looking in want the National Football League players to take a stance, but then when the stance is taken, you know, that, that contract may be taken away from him. Look at Colin Kaepernick. He goes from saying he wants to take a knee uh, and understanding what he was trying to do, which I think is commendable for him to do that. It's, it's, I think it's a great thing. But now he wants to get back in the game, and now it's a slippery slope. How does the National Football League – deal with this because now you have uh, Michael Bennett, uh, you have Marshawn Lynch. Does this give Colin Kaepernick the opportunity to get back in the game because you see players like this taking the same stance that he did, but yet they're in the game, but yet he's on the outside looking in? Well, you know, I, I think that it, it's it, it, that's the part where then it, you know, it, it becomes uh, easy to, to talk about the you know, football value of a player and that obviously Michael Bennett and, and Marshawn Lynch are seen as more valuable players to their team than, than Colin Kaepernick might be, despite the fact that he plays quarterback. But I, I, I think that I think there is space for players to speak their minds. I think Michael Bennett does it very well. I think he's an excellent example. I, Chris Long and Kyle Long, who are both from Charlottesville, said really thoughtful and meaningful things this weekend about what was going on. And uh, I think we need more of that from players. And I like that. I I like when you hear players say that and don't pretend that the world ends at the, uh, at the start of the, you know, at the the sideline and and that their whole life is just within those, those boundaries. I I think that social media has led to a lot of that. And and I think it's going to continue to, and and I think that that is a good thing, but I I do think that Kaepernick drew so much more attention to it with the, you know, the socks and, and about, uh, you know, with police officers as right. pigs and, yeah. and T-shirts with Fidel Castro on it, that he amped things up quite not, you know, quite, uh, he knew what he was doing and he wanted to make these things an issue and he's made them an issue and he's done a lot of good things with his money to help support the issues he believes in. And I, I think that the idea that anyone would discourage players from speaking out and doing what they believe in because of the, of they're going to lose their job. It, you know, it, it might happen. And it, it's really unfortunate what's happened with Kaepernick. And, and it kind of boggles the mind that he hasn't gotten a, a chance to play for a team this year. But I, I don't think that the two things are, are going to be totally hand in hand. I, I don't think that every player is going to get treated the same way. And and for Kaepernick, that, that doesn't work out so well. But for other players, I, I think it's going to be just a, a bigger part of the the landscape in, in it's a, a bigger part of the landscape in the United States over the last year. I, I I'm 40 years old. I, I've never seen the United States like this in terms of right. political engagement. And, and I, I think it's ridiculous to think that the NFL should be any different. Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Josh, let me take you to Pittsburgh. 
We're now at the stage where we're closing in on the kickoff for the start of week two of the preseason. Still no Le'Veon Bell, and he does not need the preseason, probably doesn't need training camp either. But other than expressing his frustration over the franchise tender, is he going to achieve anything by continuing to stay away? It, it doesn't look like it. It, it. The Steelers have taken a, stand, uh, a public stance that he's hurting himself by staying out and that they're not there's nothing they're looking to do. And really only the only things they could do at this point would be to add money to uh, his contract or, or a clause that says they won't franchise him again next year. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he gets, he gets anything really to gain from, from this, but I think that this is the dance that, you know, we've seen so many players do. Eric Berry did it last year with the chiefs and he did wind up getting a long-term contract this off season I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case for Bell um, in Pittsburgh, but I, I, I just, you know, I think that if you don't want these situations to happen as a team, you need to work out a way to not use the franchise tag or figure out a way to get that player signed. You, you knew that this issue was going to be coming up and it sort of played out in slow motion all year. And, and there was a brief flurry where it looked like he might get a deal before the deadline, but there never really seemed to be any push for that. And, you know, from the Steelers' point of view, you you had to know that that meant Bell wasn't going to be here in August, and certainly not for all of it. And for Bell, you know, if it's frustration, if, uh, you know, a little bit of a a tantrum about about the way that he's – things have played out, that that was just sort of coming the whole time. And and I think that when he shows up – everyone's going to put, you know, put all things aside. And, and if he plays well, it's going to set, you know, set an interesting question for the Steelers again next year. And I think we're seeing it for more teams that the franchise tag is, is good for keeping a player from leaving for another team, but it doesn't really solve the issue of making sure that everybody's happy and on the same page. Let's go out to the Rams. Uh, Jared Goff. Uh, he just had the opportunity to get one of I would say one of the better deep threats in the game when he's healthy and Sammy Watkins. Uh, you have Sean McVay who comes in with the mindset of his offense of saying we got to use our pieces. Now let's say you have Ty Gurley, there's conversation of them starting to run the football. Uh, do you see this year changing uh, for Jared Goff when it comes to his production and in, in the outside sound or noise of maybe he's now arrived into the National Football League? Would that change compared to what he's gotten this past season? Yeah, well, I think the biggest change from that point of view is he, he's the quarterback now, and, and there's none of, you know, none of the, the stuff that Jeff Fisher said last year about, I mean, really, really sort of over, over most coaches you see in terms of Goff not being ready because it, it was a bad team with the first overall pick who was a quarterback, and, and Case Keenum was your starter. And so the fact that Goff wasn't playing ahead of him uh, – reflected badly on Goff and then anything that didn't ha- you know, that went wrong when he finally did get in backed up that idea. Well, he, obviously he wasn't ready. Obviously he can't play. This guy's a bust. Uh, it was a few games into his career and, and far too early to make that judgment. But I think now you have an offensive minded coach who wants Goff to be good. It's going to only help Sean McVay. If Goff is good, it's going to only help less need. It's going to only help that, that franchise not have to worry about filling that position. And they've gone out and they've gotten players who can help. They, you know, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, um, 
obviously getting Todd Gurley back in shape, getting the offensive line together, signing Andrew Whitworth at left tackle was really big. And, and I think now you're putting Goff in a position to succeed rather than saying, all right, Goff, go out and succeed with, with spare parts around you. And, and so if it doesn't work out, I think the Rams are going to have to think long and hard about where they're going at quarterback. But I, I think that they've given him every chance to succeed now. And I, I would expect there to be better results as a result. Josh, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. All right. Have a great day, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Baseball fans, MLB at the Plate has the second half of the season covered like nobody else. With a push toward the postseason, now upon us, listen live as a co-host and myself bring you the biggest moments of the night as they happen with live listen-ins from around Major League Baseball. Right, driving one in the air, deep left field. It's got a chance. Gone. Plus, between pitches, we'll go beyond the diamond with interviews, guest appearances, and analysis on the biggest news in baseball. Catch MLB at the plate live weeknights from 7 to midnight Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Both Marshawn Lynch of the Raiders and Michael Bennett of the Seahawks sat during the playing of the national anthem this weekend. Let's discuss as we take you out of bounds. On the gridiron, there are clear lines to follow. But from time to time, there's a story that takes us out of bounds. Crazy, deranged situation. It's No Huddle on the NFL on TuneIn. Well, for people who have grown tired of a conversation about Colin Kaepernick, Fortunately, from your perspective, you're going to have more dialogue about the national anthem and players either electing to protest or just having their own mindset because we don't know what Marshawn Lynch was trying to articulate by remaining seated Saturday night during the playing of our national anthem. He does not address the media. I'll give you the comments made by his head coach, Jack Del Rio, momentarily. Michael Bennett made the same choice yesterday. Seattle on the road in L.A. taking on the Chargers and explained his perspective when he addressed the media after the game. With everything that's been going on the last couple of months, and especially after the last couple of days, seeing everything in uh, Virginia, seeing what's going on out there and earlier today in Seattle, um, just wanted to be able to use my platform to be able to continue to speak on injustice. First of all, I want to make sure people understand I love the military. I love my father's in the military. I love I love hot dogs like any other American. I love football like any other American, but I, I don't love segregation. I don't love riots. I don't love um, oppression. I don't love, love, I love gender slander. And I just I just want to see people have the equality that, that, they, that they deserve. And um, I want to be able to use this platform to continuously push the, the message of that, you know. Um, and keep, keep journeying out and keep finding out how unselfish can we be as a society? How can we continuously um, love one another and understand that people are different? And just because they're different doesn't mean that you shouldn't like them. Just because they don't smell the way you, you smell, just because they don't eat what you eat, just because they don't pray to the same God you pray to, doesn't mean you should hate them. And whether it's Muslim, whether it's Buddhist, whether it's Christianity, wherever it is, I just want people to understand that no matter what, we end this thing together. And it's just more about um, being a human being at this point. Cordell, what'd you take away from what Michael Bennett had to say last night? Well, he's just he's, he's at a breaking point of of being disgusted. I mean, it's okay to to have your own opinion. I mean, but when you get to the point where 
you become violent. I mean, look at the guy who in, 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 in Charlottesville um, who ended up through the protests, take his car and ram it into someone and break a guy's leg and, and kill a couple people or so. Uh, I mean, that that's crazy. I mean, it, it gets that it goes that far to where, you know, now you have to 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 you know show anger and and disgust and harm people, you know. And, and I think that's where Michael Bennett, I think that's where Marshawn Lynch and, and especially Colin Kaepernick are uh, when it comes to trying to bring awareness and address how you know how unhappy they are with how things have gone. You know, I mean, it's it's this is the most protest I have ever seen ever since the election until now. And it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. And if we stay quiet and closed off to it, uh, we are in denial and, and we're trying to shun it away, so to speak, and suppress it. And you can't do it. And and I think these guys who have their platform are choosing to address it in, in a very quiet way. It's not as violent as we see taking place in Virginia. Uh, or even how we may have seen it happen because of disgust and, and a lack of awareness in places like Ferguson. Uh, and then, of course, Baton Rouge, and we can go on and on, and, and how they're trying to, I think, bring awareness to how things just need to get a little bit better. And, and while these athletes are saying things are good for them, you know, because they get a chance to go off into their areas and, and be in gated communities and live a certain lifestyle to where they are detached from that, uh, let's just say, reality. But they're showing how they are affected in some way by taking their stance. And I think that's that's what needs to be heard. Guys shouldn't be reprimanded because of the awareness they're trying to bring to things that, that, that hurt them. Because while it may not hurt them, as I said, when they go off and, and live their certain lifestyles, but it affects them as well because they do have family. They do have friends, black, white, or indifferent. You know, and, and, and have, uh, you know, a choice in how they want to live their lives when it comes to being sociable from a social standpoint. Um, and, and, and they just bring an awareness to that across the board and to judge someone and condemn someone because of their dislike towards something just to bring awareness to it and not give them a chance to have a platform to, you know, go about, you know, protesting or, or even bringing awareness to it. I, I think that's a slap in their face when it comes down to, uh, their equal rights. And you remember, athletes have rights too. You know, they're human. They just so happen to be professionals on a level that draw attention to them. Um, you know, they're not working for IBM. Although that's a very good point. And why don't we address some of the pushback from people who don't want athletes to express their thoughts on social matters or politics in the workplace? Right. <clears throat> because here's what I've heard. Well, if you worked for an accounting firm, and yep. you decided to do something on the job that was a protest, yep. you get fired. That's a ridiculous analogy. These are very different circumstances. But, and I don't share this view, Cordell, and, and maybe we can address it together. What would you say to a fan who says, guys, when I turn on the TV, I just want to watch football. I don't want to have to think about politics. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get it. I mean, I get it. And that, and that just basically they don't feel like addressing some of those issues. But these are real-life issues, that we're, we're talking about human beings. We're not talking about robots in sports. We're talking about human beings. And remember, while people just want to watch sports, I think you will. But I think you also need to address uh, that ugly monster in the room. That, and that goes along, you know, that's a part of, you know, the, the lack of, of wanting to hear. And, and I think because of that, it, it creates frustration. It causes people to, you know, condemn some players and people in general. And even for those who want the athletes to stand up. 
You know, and, and when they don't, they get condemned. And the, for those who do stand up, for those who don't want to see them to stand, take that stance, they get condemned. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I think once you address it and you bring awareness, now let's, now let's look at it this way. What about those people who work in the IBM's, you know, venues or, or in some of these worlds of, of, of just being a CEO? And say John Doe is a CEO of, let's just say, Wolf Camera. Or, or even FedEx. But no one knows who that CEO is. And he chooses to go to some of these rallies and protests, whether it's in Virginia, whether it's in Ferguson, whether it's down in Louisiana, whether it's here in Atlanta. And they choose to protest, but no one knows who that person is. And he gets to put his suit back on and go to work on Monday. I think what someone who would find a problem with what Marshawn Lynch did and what Michael Bennett did and what Colin Kaepernick did last year would point out is technically isn't the stadium a workplace, right? When you guys show up at a stadium, you're about to start your job. I don't agree with this view, but let me spell it out. Some people say, why are you doing this on the job? If you have views, express it on a radio show, go on social media, keep it away from the stadium. What would you say to that? Well, that's a, that's a boatload of expectation from athletes. So you're basically saying that when you're at your job, your job should be held within the arena. Yeah, just do your job, and I don't care about your political views. I don't want to hear it at the workplace. So what happens when it's time to leave the job then? You can do whatever you want when you clock out. But that's not the case because they have high expectations of you when it comes down to representing certain communities. Sure, right, because you signed away those rights when you signed a contract with there a lot of companies. Yep. So why do your rights shut down when it's time for you to take that stance? Even in the, Because now remember... As an athlete, you're asked to carry the scepter of a multitude of things, whether it's helping, you know, multiple sclerosis, whether it's helping the cancer society, you know, when it comes to Susan B. Uh, what is it, Susan B. Coleman, uh, when it comes to the Scottish Rites, uh, when it comes down to everything that comes down to help helping to benefit a cause to do what, quote unquote, raise money. Why is it not? Now, why is it a problem? to bring that same cause to the venue that they actually love on their own without asking people I am to do with something you. to take a stance. But we discussed this last year. Some people theorized the TV ratings went down because some fans were turned off by protest. I don't buy it. TV well, ratings were down that. last year. Well, they need to get over it because they can't have their cake and eat it. You right. can't and tell an athlete you know, that you only can come to this venue to help me raise money, but when bringing awareness to someone that's being, you know, being judged based on their color, based on how they speak, based on how they look, and they're not given that same opportunity to, 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 you know, because of a person that may look like them, and they not even qualify for the job. That's a problem, right? These are important issues that should Big be time. discussed. There's a segment of the fan base, based on my interaction on social media, that doesn't want to think; they just want to watch football. And back to my footnote. The ratings were down last year because of the well, no, no, unprecedented well, race for the White House. Not well, in let's, my well, mind let's because talk of protesting. About, well, let's talk about baseball too. Now you also had the World Series in place. Well, that too, right in October. Well, right. and that was a big part sure. of it as well. So we can't just direct it to towards this cause. It was also, and it was another thing. I think there was the election, and there was also uh, the World Series. Right. So football suffered not because of that stance, but it you suffered know because some of the election. And also that, Cordell. Some people well, want to blame Colin Kaepernick for TV ratings being down last well, year. Well, open your eyes. Everyone needs to open their eyes. Whoever's listening, 
I hope they come on your Twitter feed and say, okay, you know what? My bad. I forgot. It was an election where it was one of the most divisive elections of all time. And also, it was the Chicago Cubs who had the GOAT written on, you know, when it came down to, what was it? What was it? This, this, this notion that there was some, some hex against them. Yeah, the curse you know, of the Billy GOAT the going back to 1945. Yeah, so let, let's be realistic here now. You know, you had two of probably the most watched let's just say venues, whether it's the election in baseball with the World Series, in the National Football League, the sports world venue, when it came to football, it still continued. And then those ratings shot up through the roof. Why? Because there was no distraction. So I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think that's just a a cop-out for wanting to deal with reality. You had the World Series, you had the election. Football still continued. So to sit here and say Colin Kaepernick stands and put all this pressure on Colin Kaepernick, well, Let's see if the ratings go down, go down now because we have two athletes That's who are actually taking a strong stance. And I think it's going to be see. much more than two, right? Don't you think this is it's just be the more. beginning of a new chapter yeah. in the NFL? And why don't we table the conversation for now, and we'll yep. get back to it when we chat with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com in less than 25 minutes. I promised I'd give you the postgame remarks from Jack Del Rio because Marshawn Lynch does not address the media. Here was the exchange, according to Del Rio, talking to Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn saying, this is something I've done for 11 years. It's not a form of anything other than me being myself. Del Rio told reporters, he replied, I understand how you feel. I very strongly believe in standing for the national anthem, but I'm going to respect you as a man. You do your thing, we'll do ours, and I think that's good advice for everybody listening, too. Nothing wrong with having a little bit more respect in the general back and forth going on in a rather contentious era here in 2017. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.